0: Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And we'll be looking this morning at verses 20 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. By way of context, I'd like for us to begin by reading again, beginning in verse number 17, and we'll read down through verse 24. The way the scriptures are divided up, uh, these particular thoughts are uh, sorted together, if you will. Uh, Many scriptures, especially if you have a study Bible of some sort, uh, maybe not even a study Bible, uh, proclaim this section uh, as putting on the new man. Uh, There may be other references to it, but I I do want to read down from verse 17 down through verse 24. This I say, therefore... with greediness but ye have not so learned Christ if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Our subject for this morning is simply the truth that is in Christ. The truth that is in Christ. When we refer to our salvation, we have to keep in mind that salvation is so only by the repentance of sin and believing in christ jesus in this particular passage the apostle paul teaching specifically in verses 17 through 24 paul is really issuing a warning against reducing salvation to nothing more than an intellectual assent in other words the gospel cannot be reduced to something that can simply be understood and comprehended by the mind We understand that the gospel is not dependent upon the wisdom of man, nor is it dependent upon man's ability to comprehend it. So the gospel is not dependent. That's an important word. It's not dependent upon the wisdom of man or their ability to comprehend it. Why? Because we know scripturally all men are born blind. We know that they are born in sin and they are born in this blindness. They are unable to see the truth. They are unable to even know God other than what God reveals to us in nature, which Paul dealt with in the first portions of the letter to the Romans. But true Christianity, true faith, is a result of what the Holy Spirit does in that blind man. The Holy Spirit brings dead men to life. We've seen it it expressed in Scripture. It makes them, not just brings them to life, but makes them new creatures in Christ, a new creation. And we are new creatures, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. To understand what true doctrine is, to understand what true godliness is, is a result of salvation, not the means of it. In other words, I don't ascend to salvation by my doctrine and my godliness, my doctrine and my godliness are a result of my salvation. I hope that's clear. There's a big difference there. There are some who are saying the only way to God is to get there through doctrine and godliness and then I will ascend to salvation. No, it is a work of the Spirit and as the Spirit brings us from, dead un, from death unto life and then makes us a new creation and a new creature, it is then we begin to be formed in our doctrine and formed in our godliness. I think it is fair to say, it's biblically accurate to say, that a truly saved person, a truly converted soul, has a growing knowledge of God that is continuous. It is always growing in the things and the knowledge of God. To be stagnant in our knowledge of God could be very suggestive of a lack of truly saving faith. His Word is in us. The Spirit dwells within us. As the Spirit dwells within us, we are being taught every single day. When we read the Word of God, when we we pray together, when we sing together, when we do all these things, we are seeing this growing knowledge of who God is. As great as those hymns that we just sang are. And by the way, those hymns, all three of those today, are are from a doctrinal standpoint. You are not going to get much more sound doctrinally in a hymn. But I will tell you this, without the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit, those are just words on a page. Those words alone are not going to bring somebody to a full knowledge and a complete understanding of who God is. The reason we sing those hymns with great, uh, with great understanding and we sing them with great hope and great emotion is because we have a knowledge of God that is the result of the regenerating grace of God. That's why we sing hymns with knowledge. Oftentimes we sometimes struggle when a person sings a hymn and they sing and they don't really know what they're singing. We are to sing with knowledge. More importantly, we're to read the word of God with knowledge. Hymns are important. Hymns serve a part in the church, no question. But hymns as doctrinally sound as they are, they do not supersede the scriptures. As helpful as the confession of faith is to our church, it does not supersede the Scriptures. The final authority on the knowledge of God comes from the Scriptures. And where those two disagree, we always go to the Scriptures. The reality is, is Paul is specifically talking about this knowledge. Again, we often read this and we think, I thought this passage was about putting off the old man and putting on the new. Well, it is. But we don't do that without a knowledge of God. We don't don't just simply change like we will change our clothes this afternoon after church. It's not that simple. Paul is specifically teaching about a dangerous type of learned false knowledge. It is possible for you to have a learned false knowledge. That's why it's important that Paul says in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. He has learning in context here, and he has knowledge in context And he says there are things that you learn from Christ and there are things that you have not learned from Christ. There are really two types of learned false knowledge. I believe Paul is pointing out here. The first type of learned false knowledge are those who know a lot about Scripture. They know a lot about doctrine, but they've never been truly broken by their sin. You can go to most secular universities in this country and you can get a degree in Bible. And they will teach you doctrine. Howbeit, most of it's wrong, but they'll teach you doctrine. They'll teach you what the Bible says about certain things. But a false knowledge would be a false knowledge. It leads me just to a knowledge and, and I, an acknowledgement, but it doesn't break me. I'm not broken by my sin. When we read the scriptures together, we're not reading them as people that are trying to intellectually ascend. We're reading them as people who were broken by God in their sin. And we realize what a marvelous demonstration of grace that we've experienced. That's why the word of God is precious. Doctrine is important, but it's not, doctrine's not precious to the unbeliever. It's just another subject to learn. There are people who are experts in their field and they do a lot of schooling and I applaud them. But knowledge of God is not just this intellectual knowledge. Paul warns about those that have ever been broken by their sin. And number two, there is this learned false knowledge of people actually believing that an intellectual understanding or an intellectual assent is an acceptable substitute for the repentance and confession of sin. Instead of actually repenting of their sin and confessing their sin, they believe suitable I, have an, I read the Bible or I have an understanding of the things about God. But yet they've never confessed their sin. They've never repented. They've never been broken of their sin. And they, yet as a result, they've never had saving faith in Christ. Why does that matter for us as a church? Because the church needs to be on guard and we need to be wary of confusing knowledge. Now, knowledge can be a good thing. But we've got to be careful, especially when knowledge and education intersects with the things of spiritual nature. Folks, it's not hard to confuse a knowledge of God and an an acknowledgement of some truths, and yet not really understand spiritually the value of that. Now you say, how do you get all that from the text? Because you see all that in the context of the entire letter that Paul had penned to the church at Ephesus. We don't have time this morning to go over all that we've talked about, but we remember, he's been talking about mysteries, and he's he's been talking about how the Jews and Gentiles were now worshiping together. There had been a tendency, especially with the Jews, who especially had come from the teaching to the Pharisees, their intellectual ascending knowledge was still going to be a stumbling block. In other words, I just need to understand a a few facts about God and make things right. The Pharisees truly believed, although they were dreadfully wrong, the Pharisees truly believed they were right. The Pharisees had an intellectual knowledge of God. They probably, in a debate, they probably could have debated circles around you but they were not broken by their sin. They had an intellectual knowledge of God. So we've gotta be careful that we are wary about confusing this intellectual knowledge of God and the true knowledge of God that comes from the presence of the Spirit. I know this is a bold statement, but there are people all around us who have deceived themselves into believing they have a relationship with Christ Because they have some educational knowledge of God. They are deceived into believing that that's enough. There are people who put themselves and they set their course of life I'm going to study God. They withdraw from society, they withdraw from their churches, they withdraw from their families, and they say, I'm going on this quest. And oftentimes they come back and they come back with this knowledge of God and say, I know now who God is. I learned about God sitting on that mountaintop. I learned about God sitting on that shoreline. I learned about God in the forest. I learned about God at that waterfall. I learned about God and I come back and I want to share with you what the true knowledge of God is. And yet without a brokenness for sin, you have done nothing more than ascended to an intellectual knowledge of a being and still no closer to salvation than when you left. Now the reality of that is, is that Paul says that should not be of you. That's why he says, but ye have not so learned Christ. And then he ties it together, if, that word's important there in verse 21, if so be, that ye have first of all heard him. In order to even respond to the gospel, in order to even respond to God, there has to be a hearing of him. Now, hearing is not just audibly hearing the sound of a voice. It is the hearing that is hearing with understanding. It is the hearing that only the Spirit of God gives. Paul is warning here about what you haven't learned from Christ, He's acquainting them and reminding them, those that were had made professions of faith, those who claim to be converted, that the saving knowledge of God cannot be separated from the saving knowledge that comes through Christ. And he says, if you've heard that, if you've received that, he goes on and he says that you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So he says, if you have heard him, if you have been taught by him, then you know better than to practice the wickedness that the unconverted Gentiles are currently engaged in. Verses 17, 18, and 19. Remember, that's the context. Those who've truly learned Christ don't live that way. And again, remember I threw out the word legalism last week. That's where that accusation falsely comes in. You can't tell me how to live. I have no desire to tell you how to live, but God's word does. God's word does tell us how to live. Now you can falsely label it legalism, but he does tell us how to live. We're not to live in the vanity of our mind. Why? Because the people who live and walk in the vanity of their mind were people we looked last week. They have their understanding darkened, they're alienated from the life of God, the blindness of their heart, they're ignorant, they're past feeling, they've given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And he says, but you've not learned Christ. In other words, he draws the line in the sand and he said, there is what you were and what you are now. That's unmistakable, folks. That can't be misinterpreted. There is nothing that will lead a man or a woman away from the true knowledge of God quicker than unbridled sin. And a person that gives themselves over to unbridled, unhindered, relentless seeking of sinful pleasures and ignores the doctrine of God will find themselves in the very place that Paul was writing about. The doctrine of Christ is the gospel. The gospel is Christ. Christ is the truth. He is the way. It is not about moral precepts. It's not even about an attempt to keep the Ten Commandments. It's about the doctrine of Christ, the truth that is in him. Paul says... If you've heard him, and you have been taught by him, then that truth is in Christ. So if you are in possession of the truth today, you did not intellectually ascend to that, that truth was found in Jesus Christ. God, in his wisdom, God in his sovereignty, as much as we like to maybe think, does not applaud just simple moral precepts or principles. Even the Ten Commandments are not to be applauded and to held as some kind of a moral standard if Christ is not part of it. I could post on my house, my, on the walls of my house, this family will keep the Ten Commandments. We know you can't. I admire your attempt. But even if your children can be brought to that place, and by the way, we acknowledge the Ten Commandments as believers because we know that the moral law is still in effect. And those are things we should not be doing. But if you put that on the wall as a means of just getting to God, you're just intellectually ascending to Him. God has given us the remedy for sin. The remedy for sin is not a moral precept. The remedy for sin is Jesus Christ. The payment for my sin was Jesus Christ, not the moral precept. The remedy to cure what's ailing me as a sinner is Christ. It's the wisdom and the sovereignty of God and the providential hand of God that has appointed the cure. It is, the cure is Christ. It is the blood of Christ, the blood of his own son. Paul writes and he's, he's telling them He says that they, that ye put off, that's verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. He's drawn another line and he says, believers cannot live in the same manner in which they once lived. A life of sin and indulgence in everything that our carnal flesh wants is certainly not the life of Christ that you've learned. Now I know today we have this, this new way of thinking that Christ just saved you, and now that Christ is saved, and they even use the name Christ, but now Christ just wants you to live this happy life. Basically, it's the doctrine that says very the opposite of what Paul said, they treat grace as a license to sin. God's regenerating grace is not a license to sin. It's not a license to even continue even entertaining the thoughts of sin. Although we know we're going to, we're not licensed to do that by the blood of Christ. We're not allowed to entertain sinful thoughts just because we can say, well, thank the Lord for the regenerating grace of God. No, we're to put that off. Now again, Paul's drawing a line because no person apart from the doctrine of Christ and from the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit can put off the old man. You cannot reform your life. You can't make yourself better. You can't turn over a new leaf. You you can't put reminders on your phone every day that pop up the minute you wake up about, be better today. You cannot reform your life. You can't even put off sin on your own. That's Paul's point. You can't put off the things that the Gentiles who are still walking in darkness are doing. You can't put those off on your own. So Paul, again, leads us to that if. He's reminding them, not for the first time, about what the truth is, the doctrine of the gospel. He directs them, he admonishes them, and he he tells them, put off the old man. That is, put off your former conversation, your former manner of life, how you used to live, how you conducted yourself. Conversion actually changes a person. Put off the old man, he says. Verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. I notice those expressions, they they stand out. Put off the old man corrupt. By the old man, Paul wants us to understand the old man is our old corrupt nature. It's called that because it is as old, One, one preacher put it this way, it's as old as Adam. That corrupt nature didn't originate with you, it's as old as Adam. Your corrupt nature is as old as Adam. So no I'm 40 something. Your corrupt nature is as old as Adam. It's older than your living years. That's the old man he's talking about. Humanly speaking, nobody knows where to begin with that. <laughs> nobody knows where to put off the old man that's as old as Adam. How do I deal with another man's sin? How do I deal with the original sin of Adam. Proves once again, apart from grace, you can't. So even if you clean your own life up, even if you live the Ten Commandments most of your week, you're still not dealing with the corrupt old man that originated with Adam. It's really an interesting thought. Now, your former conversation is also directed by Not just your old personal nature, but the old nature of Adam. That's your fallen nature. We've learned in our study, in Bible study time, that we were conceived in sin. Right? So we know that there is guilt already. You realize that sin never stops corrupting. If we have this idea that sin causes its effect and then stops... I can't even give you a real good illustration of the corruption of sin because I feel like I'm doing an absolute disservice to Scripture, but it's a daily, it's a daily corroding. It's kind of like the idea that, and this is, a, this is a very crude illustration, and I'll probably regret I even said it. It's, a, it's the idea of even what salt does on metal. It, it starts off, salt hits that, Starts corroding, starts pitting it, starts corroding, starts pitting it, and it just gets worse and worse and worse until you have nothing in front of you but rust. You realize that sin is daily corrupting you. It's daily deceiving you. And it is to be resisted and not just resisted, but to be subdued. We are told by Paul later to mortify the flesh. That's not my words, that's Paul's words. We're to mortify the flesh. We're to be killing sin, John Owen wrote an entire book on the mortification of sin. Now let me just warn you. You got to be intellectually engaged to read that one. Because it's deep and he's deep. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's deep. And yet this is not sufficient enough. All right, so you get up tomorrow or today and you say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to resist and I'm going to subdue my sin. I applaud you for the effort, but that won't be enough. You will not be able to do that on your own. Now again, remember, we're leading somewhere. I'm not leaving you hopeless today. We're going to bring you to a place where we're going to understand that God is telling us to do this because it is possible to be done, but not in yourself. It's not the intellectual assent to the moral precepts of the Ten Commandments. It is the reality of what happens and what's necessary in regenerating grace. Don't ever associate grace without regenerating grace. Because grace, true grace to be understood, requires a regeneration. That, That subject of that grace has to be changed. It's kind of a misnomer. We talk about being reformed. We're not reforming ourselves. Reformed and being regenerated. It's being by God. It's Him doing the work. It's not sufficient that we just simply subdue and resist because Paul has a second side to this. He says not only do we put off the old man, but he goes on and says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, order matters. Because in between verse 22... And between verse 24, before he ever talks about putting on the new man, what does he say? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, our minds run to the reality when we hear this principle. Oh yeah, I know what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter number four. Put off the old man, put on the new. But you're missing verse 24. The renewing in the spirit of your mind. That's why exposition matters. Every verse is a piece of the puzzle. So, he says to put off the old man, and we're going to put on the new here in a moment, but in between there has to be a renewing of the spirit of our minds after God. What does it mean to have the renewed in the spirit of your mind? That means to have a mind that is renewed after the image of God. In other words, when we think about God and we consider who God is, What are the two things that come to our mind? The two things that run to my mind are righteousness and holiness. Now you say, that's not the two I thought. That's okay. That's the two that come to my mind. When I think about the image of God, I'm thinking about perfectly righteous and I'm thinking about perfectly holy. And he's both of those things in all manner, perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. Now tie these thoughts together before we move. So Paul's saying, assuming that the Lord has spoken to you through his word, he has done a work of regenerating grace by his spirit, and that you have truly been taught the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, then the command is to put off, to discard your old way of life. What you're doing is you're denying the old man the right to rule over you. I'm not talking about this name and claim it foolishness, folks. I'm talking about this is a true work of God that says I am going to deny that old nature that continues to pound me every single day. And your old man is pounding you every single day. He's pounding you in your thought life. He's pounding you in your actions. That old man has to be subdued every day. It isn't coming to the altar after a service and saying, okay, from here on out, Lord, I'm subduing my old nature. Sin daily corrupts and it daily corrodes. I always cringe a little bit when I hear someone say, I have gained complete control over that sin in my life. I've gained, I've gained control. First of all, I'm concerned because you said I gained. Now, I do believe you can, you can get victory over things in your life. And you can get victory to where sin does not rule you and sin does not reign over you like it once did. But be careful about saying what you subdued. You, apart from the regenerating grace of the Spirit, didn't subdue anything. God did it. But Paul says there is a responsibility that you are to put off, but he's not telling them to do it on their own. He said, if you have Christ and truth in you, these things are happening. The old nature has its own lusts. It has its own desires. But everything the old nature tries to convince you of is deceptive. It deceives you. It convinces you that you deserve that lust to be fulfilled. It convinces you that that desire is not so bad because this person did me wrong. It's that lust that leads a person to say, you know what, I've been going through a rough time. Just this once, just this once, I'm going to let this sin lead me wherever it does. It happens in the life of believers. These believers are deceived by their own lust. Remember, sin is pounding every single day. What does sin promise you? The old man promises you pleasure. It promises you profit. It promises you, look, if you truly want happiness, just give in to this. The old nature claims to still be and claims to be a friend. You deserve this. Yet, we are to put this old nature down by denying access. Now, Paul did write a bit of this in a couple of passages. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy's always a great example of Paul giving these direct teachings on these things because he, as he wrote to Timothy. He wrote to Timothy not just doctrinally, but he wrote to Timothy a lot about his own fight and his own struggles. And I think what's so wonderful about Paul writing to Timothy was the reality that he wrote to Timothy with an understanding that Timothy, what I'm writing to you about, is very real. And in 1 Timothy 6, verse number 11, again, I'm, like, the context is, is going to be lacking if so I'm not reading enough, but if you go all the way back to verses 6 through 10, uh, Timothy, Paul's dealing with Timothy about the root of all evil talks about love of money is the root of all evil. But then he says, verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, God in his faith, love, patience, and meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Those who have taken hold of eternal life, you are going to have a fight. The way of spiritual life is not an easy life. If somebody told you that coming to Christ was going to make your life easy, they lied to you. Because it is a fight. Over in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, <clears throat> It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Teaching us, if you've been taught Christ, we deny ungodliness, deny worldly lust, live soberly, live righteously, live godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now for those that say, legalist, legalist, here it is. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. It's not legalism. This is part of the Christian life. Deny ungodliness, deny your worldly lust. Put down the old man. Now let's deal with verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of the mind before we can put on the new. We've already established this fact that being renewed in the spirit of the mind is a reference to this regenerating grace. Regenerating grace is the new man. The person now, it's regenerating grace because the person now has a new principle put into them. That principle, that new grace, that new nature enables them to lead that life, to live that type of a life. Regenerate men know that they are regenerate men. They have been renewed. They've been enlightened. They have understanding. Folks, I'm telling you, I have watched people, I've watched believers argue with people who are unregenerate for hours on end trying to get them to acknowledge what they're doing is wrong. We don't even know sin's wrong until God shows us it's wrong. Now, there is a moral compass that even society has, okay? That moral compass isn't enough to be saved, but we know there are laws. We're not supposed to break those laws. That doesn't make a person redeemed because they know there's a law. But the the matter of, the fact of the matter is, is that when when we talk about these things and we talk about this this renewed man, this man has an understanding of these truths. Paul's not asking them to understand something that they couldn't understand. They could all relate to what the old man used to do. Now he's just simply telling them, here's what the new man is supposed to do. A renewing of a, a renewed understanding. It's a a, our will is now being sanctified. We now desire God's will instead of our own will. Our affections are to change. Our desires are to change. Old things are passed away, right? That's the idea. Things are now new. They're becoming new. In our worship and our reading the word and our continual feeding upon Christ, our spiritual man is gaining the knowledge of God. We're becoming more and more what God wanted us to be. We're talking about that sanctifying process. If you'd like to turn there, I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 51, and this is one of those, I don't want to use the word classic psalms because I don't think that's an appropriate word, but this is one of the psalms of David that so clearly describes the heart of a regenerate man, the heart of a man who knew that he had sinned against God. Psalm 51 in its entirety is a plea for forgiveness. If you broke it up into four categories or maybe even five, you've got David giving a plea for forgiveness. He's asking God to cleanse him. He's praising God for forgiveness granted. he He is demonstrating a broken and a repentant heart. And then he finishes this psalm by begging God to do good to Zion. But I want to draw your attention to verses 7 through 12. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. David demonstrating even principles about what it is to have that renewed spirit. That renewed spirit doesn't mean that we're never going to sin, but that renewed spirit is what leads us to repentance when we know we've sinned against God. There is nobody here today who's going to walk out of here and never sin again. I could give the commands like Jesus does to the woman at the well, the man he met people he cured and say, go and sin no more. He wasn't telling them to do something that was impossible. But he was was instructing them that in order for them to be able to even live a life that is going to require more than just their turning over a new leaf. Now we get to that final verse we'll look at today. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. God himself is the pattern. God Himself is the example. Christ is He in which the new man is formed in the soul. That man, that woman, as Christ through the Spirit now is indwells them through the truth of Christ. Now that righteousness and that holiness has been created. Often people ask the question, "What is godliness?" Some people hear, you hear a sermon that says, Live a godly life. That really can take on a lot of different forms. Live a godly life. Honestly, what godliness is, Christ likeness. True godliness is Christ likeness. We ask the same question what is holiness? Holiness is conforming our nature to the nature of God. It means it's demonstrated by the conformity of our lives to the will of God. We conform our lives to God's will. Now, does that mean we're always perfect? No. Remember what God said about David. A man after my own heart, yet we see one of the great pleas for forgiveness in Psalm 51 when David knew he had sinned. We try to teach our young people, sadly, often I think wrongly, we try to teach them that you know, you want to be a David. You want to be a man after God's own heart. But we don't teach them about the reality that David was not a perfect man. How did David respond when he failed? Folks, how you respond in your failures of sin, I want you to hear me, are more important than your this godliness every day, thinking you're appeasing God. Your response to sin says more about our spiritual walk than how we live outwardly. You can walk to the front doors of the church carrying the biggest Bible the world's ever seen, but how you respond to sin when God convicts you? I'm afraid we have the idea that putting on the, putting on the new man just means we just clean the outside up. Well, Christ had a name for that, the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. A sepulcher is a tomb. What's still inside that tomb? A dead body. It's kind of like going to a cemetery and saying, what a beautiful headstone. Underneath that stone is still death. Again, that's not meant to offend anybody. I'm just saying that's what we we do. We spend a lot of time on the stone. We polish the outside, but we're not really dealing with the sin on the inside. Holiness is not just reforming the mind to do better, but it's the spirit of the mind that Paul wrote about. When we talk about the spirit of the mind, we're not just talking about a reformation of the way we think. We're talking about the mind is the the highest faculties of of our being. In other words, I don't want to be too intellectual here, but it's the part where we fail to even understand where sin has infiltrated. See, sin's gotten, it's not only corrupting daily, it's gotten further than what you think it has. Sin's gotten into our persons in places we don't even know it's there. So that we begin to live our lives and we go out every single day and we live and we live and we think, you know why do we walk, we come home and we say, I had a pretty good day as a believer today. The problem is maybe I had a good day, but you're not remembering that sin has, we- has weaved its way into every faculty of your soul to where sometimes we're actually sinning and we don't even know it. And yet the renewing of the spirit of the mind is to have a mind that comes nearest to God. A renewed spirit is a mind that comes nearest to God, but it's also demonstrated outwardly. It's a demonstration of both. Why do our minds and the spirit of our minds need to be renewed? Because corruption has gotten into the very fiber of everything we are. Now remember, that's what total depravity is. Sin has infiltrated everywhere, but man is still not as bad as he could be. So the question I have to ask myself today is, do I actually believe the invasive power of sin? Do I actually believe when Paul said, to put off the old man, do I really understand what he meant by the old man, or is it just a series of moral precepts? It's that checklist, Christianity. I did this, I did this, I did this. I put off the old man today, and by reading my Bible and praying, I put on the new. It's not that simple. Folks, this is a lifetime. We don't give you a badge for putting on the new man. Because in reality, if sin is daily pounding at your door, and the temptation to sin is daily there, and you've got this new nature within you, that means, like Paul said in Romans 7, even he described I don't do the things that I want to do and I keep doing the things I don't want to do. You see, it takes a work of grace to restore a depraved nature back to its simplicity. Remember, if we're, if we're guilty of sin all the way back to Adam, then I have a, a renewal process that is not yet complete. We're not fully sanctified yet. Full sanctification comes along with that glorification that's coming to where one day we will be without sin. There'll be no old man to put off. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine not having another lustful thought? Can you imagine not committing another sin? Can you imagine sin not having any place in you? Try to imagine it and you can't even fathom it. But yet, that's what it will be. That's what it will be one day when we are like Him and we'll see Him like He is. Who's the Bible referencing? It's referencing Christ. And if you've ever gotten over that, we shall be like Him? Really? Me? Now our sinful thought says, I'm going to be like God? No. (laughs) That's not the point. It's to be without sin and to see Him as He is. See, it's even, more, it's even just as remarkable to be like him as to be able to see him. I always go back to the Old Testament example, and I know there's many, but when, when Moses begged God to see his face. Paraphrase, he said, Moses, you couldn't look in my face and live. Folks, when we start getting the true knowledge of who God is, this God that's being perpetrated in our world today is, let's, let's just... Lesson who God really is. Just talk to God like He's just like talking to your buddy. Let's just refer to Him as the big man upstairs. And we call that Christianity. We say that athlete that just gave glory to God, he didn't give glory to God when he said, I want to thank the good man upstairs, or I want to thank the big guy upstairs. He didn't give glory to the true God. All he's demonstrated, he or she's demonstrating, is I have some knowledge that there's a being somewhere, but he doesn't have regenerating grace. There's no way you talk about God who saved your wicked soul from that sin as the big guy upstairs. Or that somehow you're going to walk face to face with God and tell him what you're going to do. To put on this new nature is not to make yourself new creatures in Christ. That's God's job. It's God who regenerates you. It's God who creates a new man in true righteousness and holiness. But to put on the new man, what do we do practically? Walk daily according to the principles of grace and holiness that's being formed in us. Walk daily according to the regenerating grace through the spirit that's present in you. Now, people say, well, how do you walk in the spirit of Christ? I've got to make my list. I have to come up with a list. What's a list? I don't know. I'm not going to ask you the question. A lot of people are list people. I'm, a, I'm still an old-fashioned post-it note guy, all right? That means every thought I have, I have a post-it note for it. Every single, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I inherited it from my mother. My mother, I, I always said, Mom, why do you have post-it notes everywhere? And guess who's doing that? I go to her house. She's got post-it notes everywhere. You look at my desk. I got post-it notes on my desk. You open my desk drawers. I got post-it notes standing that high. Every thought I had. All these reminders. And yet there's a passage. There's there's a single verse that it becomes the source of arguments. But I truly believe... (laughs) I truly believe that when we try to, try to demonstrate what does it mean to walk daily? Now again, this is, I'm not going to expound this today. I'm just going to read you this verse because it's going to do a much better job than I can do. When it comes to putting on the new man, here's what 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Now our minds run to, well, what's evil? But do you understand the point? <laughs> How you walk in the Spirit every day has to do with the appearances of evil. Christians want to argue about, well, what's evil and what's right? Paul told those at Thessalonica, abstain from all appearances of evil. And he told them that in the same concept of following after. Here's what he says in verse 15 of that same chapter. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. That's part of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. To not only avoid the works of evil, but even the appearance of it. The truth that is in Christ, Paul says, appears in Christ. The corrupt nature is called a man, just like the human body. It's got various parts, parts that support, parts that strengthen. Sinful desires, they're deceitful lusts. What do desires and sinful lusts? Promise They promise happiness, but bring misery and destruction. If you do not subdue them, you don't mortify them, they will continually rise up. So what's Paul say? Put them off like an old garment. Put them off like something that is filthy and that you would never, ever, ever want to put on again. But it's not just enough to get rid of the filth. You've got to put on the new Shaking off those corrupt principles, they must be replaced by gracious, regenerating grace principles. The new man is the new nature, the new creature. It's now directed by a new principle, directed by a new renewal, regenerating grace. It's God's regenerating grace that allows a man to lead a new life. It's not legalism, it's biblical. That's created That new life is only created and brought forth by the power of God. I can't do it on myself. Folks, I cannot stand on the street corner and beg society to reform itself and to do away with its sin. But I can pray that God's regenerating grace would do a mighty work in people. Because it's only through God's grace that even a person can even think about putting off the old man and putting on the new. Paul says this truth is in Christ. As we conclude this morning, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand if you would. We'll be dismissed. I will be here as long as someone needs me if that's the case. But we'll pray and we'll be on our way today. I hope we'll meditate on these things. Don't let meditate be a spooky word. It's good to meditate on what you've heard. Meditate on the truth. Meditate on the truth that's in Christ. Father, we thank you for this day, and Lord, we know that there is so much more we could consider and so many more things we could do to exalt and to glorify you. But Lord, you've given us much to feed upon today, and Lord, as we leave here today, I do pray that we will leave here with understanding. Father, I do pray for that soul, that individual today that has yet to understand and experience the regenerating grace of God. And Father, if there be one here today, or one even under the sound of my voice by live stream, whatever the case is, even at a later date, Lord, that has not yet been saved, has not been regenerated, I certainly pray, Lord, that that would be the case, if it be your will. Lord, help us all to examine ourselves, to keep our eyes upon our own walk with you. Lord, it's so easy to point out the faults and the sins in others. But may we be like David and own our sin. Own it for what it is. Own it for what it's done. Take ownership that we've done these things in our own lust and according to the old man within us. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for forgiveness. As David owned that sin, may we also realize there's forgiveness to be found with you. And may we find great hope in that truth as we go our separate ways. Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for allowing us the simplicity of being here today. May we not take it for granted. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake, I do pray and ask these things. Amen. All right. Thank you. We'll look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. trust you'll have a great rest of your week. And the Lord bless you as you go. Thank you.